Welcome to Kevin Condor's podcast. This series is on the Tabernacle of David, based on Kevin's best-selling book by the same title. It's available in paperback and e-back formats from Amazon in your area, or as an immediate PDF download from the shop at kevinconnor.org. Finally, the ongoing impact of Kevin's ministry is only possible because of the generosity of friends and supporters like you. Why not consider making a donation today at kevinconnor.org forward slash donate. Thanks very much. I would like you to turn your Bibles this morning to, first of all, to the book of Hebrews. And I just appreciate your prayer this morning for me. My, uh, when Mark was a little kid, we were at uh, Barada Street, and uh, his little friend he was playing with, he said, Mark, my nose won't work. <clears throat> it was all blocked up. Well, I'm, my nose won't work too well this morning. So just pray that it just controls itself. Okay, Hebrews chapter 9. How many were not able to be here last Sunday morning? Why? <laughs> I, know, I know some of you had good excuse. You missed a service last Sunday morning. And there's no way you can capture it on the tapeworm. But uh, if you missed last Sunday, you must try and get hold of the tape. Uh, I've listened to it myself, the tape. You just can't get it on the tape. That's all about it. That's why I hate to miss a service, amen? But uh, when it's, it's good that you're here this morning, so smile. <laughs> okay, we're continuing on our series on the Tabernacle of uh, David. And just week by week, we're building line upon line here a little, there a little, and precept upon precept, and trust that uh, it's all coming together for us. Hebrews chapter 9, and I'd like to read verses 1 through to 5. And then we're going to go over to an Old Testament passage of Scripture. So one from the New Testament, one from the Old Testament. Hebrews chapter 9 and beginning with verse 1. Then verily the first covenant had also ordinances or ceremonies of divine service and a worldly sanctuary. For there was a tabernacle made, the first, wherein was the candlestick or the lampstand and the table and the showbread which is called the sanctuary. And uh, after the second veil, the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all, which had the golden censer and the ark of the covenant, overlaid round about with gold, wherein was the golden pot that had manna, and Aaron's rod that budded, and the tables of the covenant, and over it the cherubims of glory, shattering the mercy seat, of which we cannot now speak particularly. Uh, I don't know how you feel when you read Hebrews. When I come to that verse 5, I, I could get a little bit agitated with the writer because he starts going through here about the tabernacle which we went through, the way of approach to God and worship last Sunday and the tabernacle of Moses particularly, the divine service, the outer court with the brazen altar and the outer court with the brazen labor, then coming into the holy place, the tabernacle where was the golden lampstand, the candlestick, or lampstand better translated, the table, and the table of showbread, and then uh, the altar of incense of course, and then entering within the veil into the holiest of all, the most holy place, uh, where particularly was the Ark of the Covenant and the contents of the Ark of the Covenant, the golden pot that had manna, Aaron's rod that budded, the tables of the covenant. And then in verse 5 he says, And over it the cherubims of glory, shattering the mercy seat of which we cannot now speak particularly. How many would like him to have spoken particularly about the cherubims of glory? Well, because he didn't, it's forcing me to this morning. And I hope when I see the writer that he thinks, wow, that was great. <laughs> the New King James puts it this way. Is this burping a little bit or is it just me? Should I go up or down? Or? 
That's about it. It's not my tummy, saints. It's this. I always blame this. All right, the New King James says, of these things we cannot speak in detail. Philip's translation says, all of this is full of meaning, but we cannot enter now into a a detailed explanation. And Moffat's translation says, it is impossible for me at present to discuss all this in detail, but here are the arrangements for worship. So uh, all of this is full of meaning, and we're going to try and enter into it into a more detailed explanation ourselves this morning and to discuss uh, these things at present. Let's turn over them to 2 Samuel chapter 6. 2 Samuel chapter 6. Now, I want us to read uh, verses 1 through to 19 here, and we'll be picking this up uh, further next Sunday. But we're going to start moving now more into the Tabernacle of David. We've been looking at the Tabernacle of Moses, the order of worship, and then uh, we're moving into the next phase here. And how many would like to have a Tabernacle of David service? A few Sundays. All right, so the, the Ark of God, God dwelling between the cherubim, His name is called upon that article of furniture and he sits between the cherubim. The Lord reigneth. He sitteth between the cherubims. And they set the ark of God upon a new cart, a new gimmick, and brought it out of the house of Abinadab that was in Gibeah. And Azar and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, drave the new cart. And they brought it out of the house of Abinadab which was at Gibeah, accompanying the ark of God. And Ahio went before the ark. And David and all the house of Israel played before the Lord on all manner of instruments made of firwood, even on harps and on psalteries, on timbrels. Why don't we have the timbrels more in this place? Who, who, who's hiding the timbrels here? You better get them out, Tabernacle of David, Sunday. Thank you, Brother Connor, that's excellent thought. I know some of you think those tambourines are a bunch of pigskin. But at least those pigs got converted, didn't they? Let's get back to the Bible. Um, on psalteries and on timbrels and on cornets. Wow, where are we all here? And on cymbals. And when they came to Nashon's threshing floor, Uzzah put forth his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen shook it. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against, against Uzzah, and God smote him there for his error, and there he died by the ark of God. Wow, we're going to talk about that next Sunday, about order in a meeting. And David was displeased because the Lord had made a breach upon Uzzah, and his name means breach, and he called the name of the place Perez Uzzah to this day. And David was afraid of the Lord that day and said, How shall the ark of the Lord come unto me? So David would not remove the ark of the Lord unto him into the city of David, but David carried it aside into the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite. And the ark of the Lord continued in the house meeting, pardon me, in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, three months. But the house meeting was not the ultimate. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. And it was told King David, saying, The Lord hath blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that pertaineth unto him because of the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom into the city of David with gladness. And it was so that when they that bare the ark of the Lord had gone six paces, he sacrificed oxen and fatlings. 
And David danced before the Lord half-heartedly with all his might. Wouldn't that be great if that happened here? Who said amen then? (laughs) And David was girded with a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the trumpet. And as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michael, Saul's daughter, looked through a window. Poor girl, she's on the wrong side of the window. Should have been down there with the crowd in the meeting. And I saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord and she said, Glory, hallelujah, this is a marvellous meeting we're having. Uh, the light is very bad up here this morning. She despised him in her heart. And they, now listen to verse 17, a very important verse of what we're looking at. And they brought in the ark of the Lord and set it in his place in the midst of the tabernacle that Moses... No, what does it say? Let's all say it together. That David... Oh, something's happening here, we're going to see. So they brought in the ark of the Lord and set it in his place in the midst of the tabernacle that David had pitched for it. Tent or tabernacle, whichever word is suitable. And David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And as soon as David had made an end of offering burnt offerings and peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of his denomination. I'm sorry. In the name of the Lord of hosts. Hallelujah. And he dealt among all the people, even among the whole multitude of Israel, as well to the women as men, to everyone a cake of bread and a good piece of flesh and a flagon of wine. So all the people departed, everyone to his own or to his house. I want you to notice verse 17 now. And they brought in the ark of the Lord, set it in his place, in the midst of the tabernacle that David had pitched for it. And David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. Now in our last Sunday service, uh, which was actually a singing service, a teaching service as we sang together. And uh, we looked at the whole way of approach uh, to God and worship that God had established in the tabernacle of Moses, as it's referred to, and just saw God's whole way of approach that we must always come to God through the blood, by the washing of water, by the word, then come into his presence uh, with thanksgiving and praise, come to the table of showbread, walk in the light of the candlestick, and offer the incense of praise and prayer, and then come within the veil and uh, commune with him between the wings, wings of the cherubim. So that's what our whole service was about last Sunday morning. Now, we're going to see some difference later on. Uh, what we did last Sunday morning was a little bit different, but uh, not quite what we're headed for here. Now, in David's time, and uh, let me just put this diagram on the overhead to remind us here, one picture's worth a thousand words, they tell me. Okay, so in the tabernacle of Moses, the ark of God, now listen carefully, I'll try and take this slow here. The ark of God had been in the tabernacle of Moses for about, uh, uh, well, several hundred years. And God's way of approaching worship in the tabernacle of Moses was, as I said, through the court gate, I will enter his gates with thanksgiving, and then by way of the altar, the sacrificial blood, then the priests had to wash their hands and their feet at the uh, laver, the basin of water here, the laver of bronze. Then they entered in through the door into the holy place, coming before the presence of the Lord there. And in the light of the golden lampstand, they had the table showbread and would offer the incense. Then once a year on the great day of atonement, the high priest would enter within the veil. For hundreds of years, the Ark of the Covenant had been in the tabernacle of the Lord and there had been the manifestation of the Shekinah glory cloud, the presence of the Lord in that cloud. But now we're coming to uh, David's time 
And God is doing a whole new thing. Now, it might surprise you, and I don't need to uh, pollute your pure minds by way of this, but it's amazing the letters and some of the articles that I have against the tabernacle of David that is absolute heresy. And uh, uh, I haven't had any bother for a while, so I thought the enemy needed to give me a bit. So Connor and Iverson, when I was in, States, in the States this uh, past May, June, uh, they gave me an article where Connor, uh, Kevin Connor and Dick Iverson are amongst the modern-day heretics because we teach on the restoration of the tabernacle of David. Well, for praise God. I, if, if that's heresy, then you know what Paul said in the book of Acts? He said, I worship God after the way that they call heresy. <laughs> Did you know that? Why don't you, while I'm on that, Acts 24, look at it in your Bible quickly. Acts 24, verse 14. Acts 24 and verse 14, when uh, Paul is standing before Ananias, the high priest. So what does he say when they're accusing him about worshipping, so forth? So in Acts 24, verse 14, he says, But this I confess unto thee, that after the way which they call heresy... So we have some people and some ministers who are writing against this and calling it heresy. So, this I confess unto thee, that after the way which they call heresy, so worship I the God of my fathers, believing all things which are written in the law and in the prophets. Can you say Amen. And I have hope toward God, which they themselves also allow, that there'll be a resurrection of the dead, both of the just and unjust. And herein do I exercise myself to have always a conscience void of offense toward God and, and toward men. So I tell my friends, well, while you're fighting it, I'm enjoying it. While you're writing against the tabernacle of David in our fellowship at Waverley, we're just enjoying it. So you fight it, we'll enjoy it. So the way which they call heresy, I worship the God of our fathers. All right, now, as I said, for hundreds of years, the Ark of the Covenant was in the most holy place here within the veil, and it was only ever seen once a, once a year on the great day of atonement when the high priest went within the veil and sprinkled the blood on the mercy seat. Now, in David's time, something new is happening. God is doing a new thing, a whole new thing. And of course, as I said, there are those who say David was out of the will of God. He should have put the Ark of the Covenant back in the tabernacle of Moses. He should never have put it in the tabernacle that he pitched. Why was he doing that? Why didn't God zap him dead? Okay, because the Bible tells us that David served his generation by the will of God. Now, here's the important thing I want you to pick up from this verse. After hundreds of years, the Ark of the Covenant having been in the tabernacle of Moses... Uh, through various circumstances that we can't go into today, it was taken out of the Holy of Holies, taken into the land of the Philistines, and it was there for a number of months. And under Saul's time, nobody cared about the Ark of God. But when David came, he got a real burden for worship, a real burden to worship the Lord. And so his burden concerns the Ark of God. And as we'll pick up next Sunday, he brings the Ark of God where it had been after it came back from the land of the Philistines and uh, sets it on a new cart. And in the midst of their dancing and rejoicing and the music, all of a sudden, death struck. Now, why do you think God did that? Why do you think sometimes in a meeting, sometimes, something uh, just goes dead? We'll be talking about that next Sunday. Well, after David sought the Lord, which we'll be talking about next Sunday, okay, so you must be here next Sunday, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> David took the ark and he put it in a tent or a tabernacle that he had pitched for it. 
and never again, the Ark of the Covenant, never ever again went back to the tabernacle of Moses. In due time it was taken from the tabernacle of David after the order of worship was established there, which we're gradually heading to. It was taken from there into the temp temple of Solomon over here. So the Ark of God went from the tabernacle of Moses into the tabernacle of David. A whole new order of worship was established here. And then in due time, after about 30 years or so, preparatory to the Temple of Solomon, the ark was taken out of the Tabernacle of David and taken into the Temple of Solomon, which was the embodiment of all that had gone before. And I know this won't mean much to much of many of us, but personally, I believe the church is at present in the Tabernacle of David's stage. We are yet to move into the Temple of Solomon stage where the glory of God comes down but there was something established here and that's what we're looking at this morning. And remember as we began in our series together in Acts chapter 15 when the whole problem is what to do with the believing Jews and the believing Gentiles, Amos by a word of wisdom goes back, uh, I mean James, pardon me, by a word of wisdom goes back to the prophet Amos and he said, oh, this is what the Lord spoke through the prophets. And he picks out one prophet, the prophet Amos, and said that in that day and after this I will return and build again not the tabernacle of Moses, but I will build again the tabernacle of David. I will raise up its ruins. What for? That the Gentiles will come into the tabernacle of David. So believing Jews and believing Gentiles would come not into the tabernacle of Moses, which would put them under the law, but they would come into the tabernacle of David and everything that's uh, significant in that. So the believing Jews, along with the believing Gentiles, would be brought into the tent or the tabernacle of David and there worship the Lord without form and ritualism. Now one other thing I need to say, we're only going back to these external things to discover the knowledge and the truth that is hidden therein. The external form has gone. We're no longer interested in tents and bells and smells and incense and nonsense. All the external thing is gone, but the knowledge and the truth is eternal. That remains. Now, the most important thing, first of all, about the tabernacle of David is this lone article of furniture. There is no outer court like here. There's no holy place like here. There is no brazen altar or gates here. There's no brazen labor. There's no lampstand. There's no table of showbread. There's no altar of incense. All there is is the most holy place, the holiest of all. But let me just qualify. You say, well, why did we sing like we did last Sunday? Because the truths of all these things are embodied in the one article of furniture, the Ark of the Covenant. They're all embodied there. The blood that was shed there is now here, and so forth. We haven't got time to divert too much, but everything that was symbolized here is now symbolized in the Ark itself. Now, I want you to go back to... Uh, Exodus chapter 25 here. And the whole point that I need to get across this morning is that the Ark of the Covenant was the most important article of furniture, the most important. And because the tabernacle of David centers around the Ark, we need to understand the symbolism of the Ark. What does it really mean? Why did David put the Ark of the Covenant in this tent and establish this whole new order of worship? So you have to bear with me while we look at the Ark of the Covenant and see the significance of it. All right, Exodus chapter 25, and uh, I'll give you, the, for those who are taking down references, uh, verse 10 through to 22 gives us the details of the uh, pattern of the Ark of the Covenant. So uh, Exodus 25 and verses 10 through to 20, uh, 22. 
the details of the Ark of the Covenant. Now, as I said, it is the most important article of furniture. In fact, so important is the Ark of the Covenant to God, did you know that there are over 185 references to the Ark of the Lord in the Bible? Over 185. There are more references to the Ark of the Covenant than all the other articles put together and uh, uh, all of them, just everything. The Ark is the most important piece. Why? Because God's very presence and glory dwelled upon that. All the other articles in the tabernacle of Moses took their character and took their, uh, their, uh, their significance in relation to the ark because that represented the presence of the Lord. Now, without going into too much detail here, but I need to establish this because uh, before we see the significance of it, just glance over verse 10 uh, onwards and then we'll pick up some of the main, main things. Now, in this chapter we have the description of the making of the ark of the covenant. It was the first article of furniture to be made in God's house, God's tabernacle. And we find it was simply, let me just describe it without reading uh, too much of the scripture here so we get to what we're after on the end of our word here. It was a oblong box made of acacia wood, shittim wood is uh, called here, or acacia wood. And the wood represents Christ's humanity, a root out of dry ground. And this oblong box was overlaid within and without with gold representing divinity, Christ's divinity, Christ's humanity, Christ's divinity. As you study in those verses, we find it was about two and a half cubits long and one and a half cubits high. And it represents that Christ measured up to God's standard, perfect measuring. On top of this uh, oblong box, uh, there was a crown of gold round the edge, acting like a, 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 a place for the lid, so a crown of gold, representing Christ who is crowned King of Kings. The Lord reigneth, he sitteth between the cherubims. And then we find, as we go through that passage there, in the corners of this oblong box, uh, there were four rings, one in each of the corners, and uh, in the, it's interesting, four rings of gold. Pure gold, there are only four descriptions of God in the Bible. God is spirit, God is light, God is love, God is consuming fire. Four descriptions of God. And then in these four rings, uh, there were two staves put upon which they were to carry the ark of God upon the shoulders of the priest and uh, significant of the ark in its pilgrim walk, its earth walk, Christ. His gospel is to go into all nations, uh, beginning at Jerusalem, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And uh, so the ark was carried on these two staves. Right on top of the ark, as you see here, so we have the box of uh, acacia wood overlaid with gold and then the crown of gold on the top and the two staves into the four rings on the corners. Right on top of the Ark of the Covenant or this oblong box was uh, a lid called the mercy seat. And fashioned into the end of the mercy seat, there were two winged creatures called the cherubim. Now, you say, okay, why all this? Well, what are we singing about? The Lord reigneth, he sitteth between the cherubims. Commune with me from between the wings of the cherubim. Why do we sing those things if we don't sing them with understanding? See? Otherwise, it's just a nice tune and we're singing words. We haven't got a clue what they mean. That's why I felt this morning we needed to look at the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of God. Now, you listen to uh, verse 18, and I want to read this here, Exodus 25, verse 18. And thou shalt make two cherubims of gold, of beaten work shalt thou make them, in the two ends of the mercy seat, and make one cherub on the, on the one end and the other cherub on the other end. 
Even of the mercy seat shall you make the cherubims on the two ends thereof. And the cherubims shall stretch forth their wings on high, as we've tried to illustrate in the diagram here, covering the mercy seat with their wings, and their faces shall look one to another. And yet not only looking one to another, but toward the mercy seat shall the faces of the cherubim be. What was on the mercy seat? What was sprinkled on the mercy seat? So when their faces are looking one toward another, and yet they're looking toward the mercy seat, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. So looking toward the mercy seat, the blood. Now listen to verse 21. And thou should put the mercy seat above upon the ark, so it was like a lid covering the box, and in the ark thou should put the testimony that I shall give thee. And verse 22, if you haven't already marked this Bible in your Bible, uh, I've referred to this on previous occasions, three I wills in this beautiful verse, and there I will meet with thee. Where? Between the wings of the cherubim, the bloodstained mercy seat. There, number one, I will, I will meet with thee. And number two, the second I will, I will commune with thee from above the mercy seat. How many appreciate the mercy seat of God this morning? See, out in the outer court here, this is a judgment seat. But here it's a mercy seat. I just appreciate the mercy of God. So second I will, I will commune with thee from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubims, which are upon the ark of the testimony of all things. And here's the third I will, which I will give thee in commandment unto the children of Israel. So number one, I will meet with thee. Number two, I will commune with thee. And number three, I will give thee commandment. The three I wills of the Lord between the mercy seat and the cherubim. Now, a tremendous picture that we've had here, and let me remind you, and for those who are new in the church, there's different uh, commentaries talk about this, and they say that the cherubim uh, simply represent angels who desire to look into the mystery of our redemption. I have to agree to disagree agreeably. Let me tell you what I believe they represent. Now listen carefully, I'm taking this pretty slow this morning. The cherubim and the mercy seat were fashioned out of one piece of gold. One piece of gold. Because there's only one God. But this one piece of gold was fashioned into a tri, into a trinity, into a tri-unity. And we have the cherub one end and a cherub the other end and they are part of the mercy seat. And I want you to go over to what Paul does. You say, well, that's Old Testament, Kevin. Let's go to Romans chapter 3 and look what Paul does with what I'm doing on the Ark of the Covenant here. Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3. And Romans chapter 3 deals with the New Testament explanation of the Ark of the Covenant, of which things we cannot speak particularly. But we're speaking particularly this morning and giving some detail. Romans chapter 3. Let's pick up in verse 20. Pick up a couple of verses here. In verse 20, Therefore by the deeds of the law there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. Inside the Ark of the Covenant were the Ten Commandments, the law. By the law is the knowledge of sin. Listen to verse 23. For all have sinned. How many? All. A-double-L. All have sinned 
and come short of the what? The glory of God. This was where the glory of God was, the presence of God, the glory of God. So the law and all of sin come short of the glory of God. And so much meets, uh, more than that than meets the ear because Adam and Eve were clothed with glory. And when they sinned, they lost it and had to wear clothes. Now listen to verse 24. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, verse 25, whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation. Everybody say propitiation. Do you know what the Greek word for propitiation is? It's literally a mercy seat. Mark it in your Bible, saints, so you'll sing more with understanding. Whom God had set forth to be a mercy seat. So Jesus Christ is our mercy seat. And listen to what it says, what was on the mercy seat. Through faith in his blood. So God has set forth Jesus Christ to be a mercy seat, a blood-stained mercy seat when I see the blood, to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God. And where do you stop with Paul? So the law, the glory, the propitiation, the mercy seat, and faith in the blood that is on the mercy seat. Very important to God. So let me say what I understand the cherubim to be and the mercy seat. How many see that the mercy seat is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ? Amen. He, he is our mercy seat. When we come to God, we come to the mercy seat. It's one thing I always appreciate about the Salvation Army, they had a penitent form here. Sometimes I wish we could have one here and we could come and kneel at the penitent form at the mercy seat. I had a very great impression in my Salvation Army days, coming to the mercy seat. Not a judgment seat, the cross was the judgment seat, but coming to a mercy seat where you could kneel and say, Lord, I'm coming to the mercy seat this morning and faith in the blood. That's on that mercy seat. Jesus Christ is our mercy seat. Now, the cherubims were part of the mercy seat. Angels are not part of Jesus Christ. Oh, they're our servants and they're ministering servants. There are only two persons who are part of Jesus Christ, and that is the Father and the Holy Spirit. So let me say it very carefully. I, I pray that the spirit of wisdom and revelation will be upon our hearts that just revolutionize our, our lives and our worship. Because, see, the whole thing about the tabernacle of David is coming before the ark of God. And what's the ark? Oh, a bit of box overlaid with gold, a bit of wood. What's all the fuss about? Why waste all those pages in the Bible on that stuff? God, why even mention 189 times, God? What did it mean to you? It doesn't mean much to us Westerners. It meant a lot to God. Anybody who touched it, God zapped them. Right? So here we have... One cherub representing the Father and the other cherub representing the Holy Spirit and the mercy seat connecting the two cherubim, the Lord Jesus Christ. And here we have a magnificent representation of the Godhead bodily, the Father, the blood-stained Son and the Holy Spirit. So the Father and the Son, the two cherub, their faces were to look one toward another. And how many believe that the Father and the Holy Spirit look with satisfaction upon a bloodstained mercy seat? This is the work of the Son. The blood is a finished work. Death has taken place. And that's what it meant to God. It meant to God. God has to do something in our hearts, saints. How many realize that to make these things alive and real to us? Because 1,500 years, he saturated Israel's mind with these truths. People say, oh, I'm a New Testament Christian. doesn't mean a thing. Oh, well, the New Testament writers use Old Covenant language 
to describe new covenant realities passing everything through the cross. The cross is the key in the cross. So there, now, in the Ark of the Covenant, there were three articles, which we read in Hebrews 9. Why don't you turn back to Hebrews 9? Hebrews chapter 9. Three articles in this uh, oblong box. In this oblong box, three articles. And the New Testament writer, see, in Hebrews, whoever wrote Hebrews, his mind is saturated with the tabernacle of Moses and the tabernacle of David, and the whole book of Hebrews is built around those two tabernacles. How can you understand the book of Hebrews without these things? Hebrews 9 verse 4, And the ark of the covenant overlaid round about with gold, wherein was, number one, the golden pot that had manna, the manna from heaven. Number two, Aaron's rod that budded. And number three, the tables of the covenant. And over it the cherubims of glory, shadowing the mercy seat, of which we have now be, uh, been speaking particularly. Now, we've had a description of the ark, the contents of the ark. What do you think was the whole purpose of it? Why did God give this box? I mean, you know, we look at it and think, oh, a bit of box of wood made out of acacia wood, overlay it with gold and these funny creatures on it and mercy seat and blood. I mean, why have all that stuff? You know, what did God give it for? Do you know what God gave it for? Because... That was God's throne. That was the only article of furniture that had the presence of God upon it. I want you to go over to a magnificent verse in the book of Numbers, Numbers chapter, uh, Numbers chapter 7. Numbers chapter 7 and listen to it. God was teaching Israel through these visual things, through this flannel graph, through this videotape. Visual, visual representation of symbolic truth. Listen to Numbers chapter 7 and verse 89. So what we're saying here, Numbers 7 verse 89, the Ark of the Covenant was the place of God's visible presence, the glory cloud. We sing, oh, cloud of great glory and glory come down. See his glory come down. What, what are we singing about when we sing those things, saints? Is it just a nice little tune, see his glory come down, see his glory come down? Why do we sing these things? I think, I think you know my heart enough that I don't want us to have a routine of worship. I want us to sing with understanding, that we really understand what we're singing about. Otherwise, we just enjoy the music and the tune, and we don't even understand a thing we're singing about. He sitteth between the cherubims, a good tune, and... You know, see his glory come down, a cloud of great glory, thou presence of God descend upon us. Why do we sing those things? Huh? That's where his very presence and glory cloud was. Listen to Numbers chapter 7 and verse 89. And when Moses was gone into the tabernacle of the congregation to speak with him, speak with God, then he heard the voice of one speaking unto him from off the mercy seat that was upon the ark of the testimony from between the two cherubims and he spake unto him. So Moses going into the tabernacle back here, off that bloodstained mercy seat out of that triunity and that blazing Shekinah glory, God would speak. The audible voice of God was heard. And you notice God is always speaking off a mercy seat. So all God's communications to Israel came through the blood. Did you realize, saints, that God's got nothing to say to us apart from blood? Nothing. 
When God speaks to us, he speaks to us through the blood. How many are glad for that? He speaks to us through a mercy seat. How many are glad for that? So it's very, why did God give this to Moses? To impress upon him. Here in the mercy seat, mercy and truth have met together and righteousness and peace have kissed each other. Let me just give you some things here and for those of you taking notes, I do hope some of you are taking notes here. Having described the box, the description of the ark and the cherubims and the, and the bloodstained mercy seat and the contents of the ark and so much of which we cannot now speak particularly. So much here. Let me give you some of the main things about the ark of God. First of all, number one, the ark represents the throne of God in the earth. Let's all say that together. The ark represents the throne of God in the earth. It was God's throne in the earth, in Israel. It was God's throne. Number two, the ark represents the presence of God. So let's all say that together. The ark represents the presence of God. It was the presence of God by the Spirit, dwelling in the midst of his redeemed people, Israel. Number three, the ark represents the glory of God. Let's all say that together. The ark represents the glory of God. So the throne of God, the presence of God, the glory of God. The glory of God in divine order and worship amongst his people. And then, of course, the ark represents mercy and truth, righteousness and peace. It represents the moral law. It represents Christ as the manna from heaven, the bread from heaven. It represents the Christ as our great high priest. It represents the covenant as the ark of the covenant. We are new covenant believers. This is the ark of the old covenant. New covenant believers. Everything, in other words, everything that was in the ark of the covenant finds its fulfillment in the Lord Jesus Christ. As somebody has said, the history of the Ark of the Covenant is his story. History is his story. So such an important article of furniture. Let me just read off my note here. Thus the Lord Jesus Christ is the personal fulfillment of the Ark of the Covenant. All that the Ark was to Israel, so is Christ to and in his church. The history of the Ark of the Covenant is his story. Just for our last few moments, I want you to look at some scriptures with me. And this is what my main point to get across this morning is, that the ark representing the throne of God, the glory of God, let's all sum it up, the ark represents the presence of God. The presence of God in the midst of his people. Take the ark away, there's no presence of God. But if there's going to be presence of God, we must go divine order. I want to just finish my message this morning with some scriptures on the importance of the presence of God. So, what am I saying here, saints? The ark represents the presence of God in the midst of his people. Let's go to Exodus chapter 33. I want to give you several scriptures as we bring our message to a close here this morning on the importance of the presence of God. The importance of the presence of God. Exodus 33. Moses is on the mount. He's just received the pattern for the tabernacle of Moses as it was. And the people have set up an idolatrous calf system and having a real rock festival there, dancing around, dancing themselves naked and so forth. And so God says to Moses, forget it, I'm not going with the people. And Moses said, look, if you don't go with the people, I'm not going anywhere either. Listen to verse 12. And I want you to underline the use of the presence here. And Moses said unto the Lord, See thou sayest unto me, Bring up this people, 
And thou hast not let me know whom thou wilt send with me, yet thou hast said, I know thee by name, and thou hast found, also found grace in my sight. Now therefore I pray thee, if I have found grace in thy sight, show me now thy way that I may know thee, that I may find grace in thy sight. You notice the emphasis on grace, 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 even though he's under law. And consider that this nation is thy people. And listen to the tremendous words in verse 14. And he said, My presence shall go with thee, and I will give thee rest. How many know that when the presence of the Lord is here, there's rest? Not struggling and striving, but when the presence of the Lord, there's rest. My presence will go with thee, and I will give thee rest. And look at Moses' response in verse 15. He said, If your presence doesn't go with me, carry us not up hence. I don't want to go on without your presence. And saints, that's my desire. I'm sure it's your desire. I don't want to just have meetings for the sake of it. I want the presence of the Lord to be among us. If the presence of the Lord's not here, we're just going through religious routine. Just a different form of service. But it's the presence of the Lord. Presence. And when we talk about the presence, we're talking about God being here. You can't say, well, Kevin Connor, he wasn't in the meeting this morning, but his presence was there. Did you know that? If I'm present here, then I'm here. And if we say the presence of the Lord is here, God's here. And what does he say in verse 16? For wherein shall it be known here that I and thy people have found grace in thy sight? Is it not in the fact that thou goest with us? So shall we be separated, I and thy people, from all the people and all the other nations upon the face of the earth. It's because of your presence. And that's the only thing that makes the difference, saints, is the presence of God. Otherwise, we're just like anybody else. Presence of God, presence of God. Let's go over to one other scripture. I'm going to quote several more, but one other scripture. Let's go to Isaiah chapter, where is it? Isaiah chapter 64 as we bring our word to a close. Now, we're not going to appreciate the tabernacle of David and the order of worship established up there unless we understand what the ark is. The presence and throne and glory of God. Isaiah chapter 64. Isaiah 64. And as you're turning to that, let me quote some other scriptures. Adam and Eve, they heard the presence of the Lord God amongst them. Uh, Cain, when he rejected the blood, he went out from the presence of the Lord. Chronicles 16. The trees of the woods sing out at the presence of the Lord. Psalm 16. In thy presence is fullness of joy. Do we really believe that, saints? In thy presence is fullness of joy. Why do we have to go to the world to get up some joy then? Because we don't get enough in his presence. David, so worried about the presence of the Lord after he sinned, he said, Cast me not away from thy presence and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Psalm 100 says, Come before his presence with, your, with singing. And listen to what uh, Isaiah 64 says. Oh, that thou would rend the heavens, that thou wouldst come down, that the mountains might flow down at thy presence. You know, we all come with mountains in our lives and valleys that have to be lifted up, mountains that have to be cast down and, ex- and, and bring down the high people and exalt the low people. Overestimation, pride, underestimation, self-rejection. And bring down the mountains and lift up the valleys and it levels us all out and makes a highway for our God to come in on. That the mountains might flow down at thy presence. As when the mounting fire burneth, the fire causeth the waters to boil, to make thy name known to thine adversaries, that the nations may tremble at what? Thy presence. 
which thou did terrible, when thou didst terrible things which we looked not for, you came down. The mountains flowed down at your presence. Right through the prophets, I'm only giving you some scriptures, but right through the prophets, their cry is for the presence. Be sure to visit kevinconnor.org for more information about Kevin, his books, and his ministry.